Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Brent Jones. Enjoy. Uh, good morning. How are we doing this morning? All right. Well, I get the awesome privilege of bringing the word this morning. I'm really excited. Welcome everybody who's in the room and on campus. Uh, welcome everybody that's joining us online. Uh, please go ahead and just comment where you're joining us from. We'd love to see where you're joining us from and engage with you there. Um, also, uh, we there, there's a whole bunch of teens that are gone out to their service and a whole bunch of kids and adults that are back rehearsing. There's a whole bunch of things going on this morning. And so if it seemed a little bit crazed around here, it's because it's a little bit crazed around here right now. So, um, yeah. And can we just give it up for Ethan on sound this morning? He is like... There have been a couple of issues. So we thank you, Ethan, for your work this morning. All right. Well, we're going to pray, and we're going to get into the Word. God, thank you for today. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for this Advent season that we get to remember and welcome you and invite you and see you come and move and do what only you can do. Jesus, would you just visit this place this morning? Could we just get a new vision of you, Jesus, in this place today? Come, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Would you just... Just say whatever you need to say to the Lord right now just to prepare your heart. Just say, come Holy Spirit. My heart's open to you. We're not in a rush. We're not in a hurry. We're just here to meet with him and hear from him this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this place. Amen. Amen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Isaiah. We have been in a series that I'm really enjoying. Uh, and if you haven't, if you're not caught up on the series yet, I want you to go home today and I want you to catch up. I want you to catch up. I want you to either listen to it in your car on your way to work or listen to it at work. I don't know, maybe your cubicle mate needs to hear it. I don't know. <laughs> I was talking about you, actually. Um, but catch up on the series because it's, a, it's, it's called Here Am I. And here am I as a response to God. And, and, and when we say it in Hebrew, the word, the word hanene, that phrase is this complete submission to the will of someone else. When we say here am I, we're saying everything that I want, I'm taking all of that and I'm setting it aside and I'm saying I just want what you want. Here am I. Here am I. It's a response to the call of God. And we've looked at the lives so far, just a quick recap, we've looked at specific moments where people have responded to an encounter with God by saying, here am I. We've looked at Abraham. We've looked at Moses. 
We've looked at Samuel. Each one had this moment where God spoke to them and their response to his call was, here am I. Here am I. A couple weeks ago when I spoke, we talked about Moses and his response of saying, here am I, actually was not just for him. His response was for him, but for his entire nation. In one phrase, he responded in submission to the Lord for an entire nation. And because of his response, God rescued his children out of Egypt. They had a choice to respond to God, and every time they chose to respond by saying, here am I, God, which is a term that implies submission to the master, laying down our own will and our own options, our own options, that's big. Like, it may not be like, oh, I'm laying down my will. Sure, I laid down my will. Have you laid down your options? Have you laid down your options to not do it? Have you laid down your choices so that now you don't have any choices? Your only choice is the one that you made to say, here am I. Here am I is a submission. And we're saying that in this series. We're saying, Lord, here am I. This week, we get to look at a man named Isaiah. I'm going to bombard you with a lot of stuff, a lot of facts before we get into the, into the message. I love that we're looking at Isaiah during Christmas time. I love it. Reading it always reminds me of the times. I'm a choir kid. Anybody else a choir guy? Choir guy? Yeah, there you go. I got some choir folks in here. I knew you were my people. <laughs> Guys, choir. <laughs> if you can believe, you can believe this. So I'm just going to tell you, I lettered in choir. <laughs> you didn't even know that was a thing, y'all. It's a thing. I lettered in choir. I got the pins and everything. <laughs> it makes sense, right? It just makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even know you could do that. You can. Yeah, choir. So <laughs> why was I saying that? I don't know, just to embarrass myself, just to, just to get rolling <laughs> with embarrassment. Um, no, I know why I was saying that, because of Christmas. Christmas is huge with choir and orchestra and music. Like Christmas is like you start preparing for it like in July, and, and you're, you think I'm joking, and you start preparing for it. We actually had you know, a, a retreat like in the summer to get ready for our Christmas music so that that way we could keep working on it during the fall while you're working on all the fall stuff. And I have sang, I can't even tell you how many times I've had the awesome privilege of singing Handel's Messiah with choir and orchestra. I've sing it, sung it multiple times. We've performed it many times. Uh, in, in college, um, I did it many times with um, the Master Chorale and Boise Philharmonic and just had an incredible time doing that. And that's why I love Isaiah. And you're like, what do, how do those go together? Do you know that Isaiah is quoted 20 times in Handel's Messiah? 20, not just quoted, he actually, 20 verses in Isaiah are expounded on in Handel's Messiah. So when Handel sat down and said, hey, we're going to write this musical masterpiece to perform, and he, brings in, he brought in a co-writer from some of it too to give him ideas. When they did, he said, you know, I think we're going to call it the Messiah. Do you know what they did? They just turned to the book of Isaiah. Because Isaiah is the most messianic book of the Old Testament, hands down. 
If you ask any theologian and you say, hey, what's, you know, what's, tell me a book that in the Old Testament that talks a lot about Jesus and Messiah, every single one will point you to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is messianic to its core. And it is the most common source of material used in the musical masterpiece we just spoke about. And the poetry, why? The poetry of this book is unsurpassed in the Old Testament. Like, what about Psalms? Nope, Isaiah, hands down. What about Proverbs? Nope, Isaiah, hands down. What about Song of Solomon? Ooh, poetry, yeah. It's okay, I've been to that marriage conference, I know. Song of Solomon, no, beat by Isaiah. Isaiah is the most comprehensive book, not just of prophecy in the Old Testament, but of poetry and prose. Its poetry is unmatched, unmatched. Even in the Psalms, they don't quite have the cadence of Isaiah, who even in the dire forecasts of prophecy, even in talking about God's judgment, he could turn a phrase so beautifully that it could only be understood in the Old Testament, which is rare, as grace. He said things like, the trees of the field will clap their hands. He said phrases like, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Those aren't just Christmas songs. Those are Isaiah. Springs in the desert, the highway of the Lord. These are all phrases that you hear thrown around a lot, but they all are rooted in one man's uh, inspiration from the Holy Spirit to prophesy and call the people of God into judgment and out in grace. One man. It's a huge book. But the overarching theme of this book is that God will judge, but then God will have compassion, and then God will save. Isaiah is the fourth longest book in the Bible. It kicks off all the major prophets in the Old Testament. It has 66 chapters, 1,291 verses, divided into two major sections. It's a book of judgment and a book of salvation. It's a book of judgment and a book of salvation. It's actually split in half. The first half happened in Isaiah's lifetime. It was like prophetic words that were happening on time right then. He would speak, and the, prof the prophecy would come true. He would speak, that prophecy would come true. He would speak again, that prophecy would come true. Then he dies, and all of these other things he spoke started coming true for hundreds of years. Until one night, on a hillside, Outside of Bethlehem, shepherds are startled awake by angels singing. And even they like to quote Isaiah. You see, God has woven this beautiful tapestry of poetry, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, from Genesis to Revelation. And we get this explosion of it right in the middle in the prophet Isaiah, where he expresses the heart of God for his people, the heart of God to call his people to repentance. And God calls his people to repentance with beautiful lyrics, direct words, harsh words, 
Do you know there are at least 25 Hebrew words that show up in Isaiah that are not found anywhere else in the Bible? 25 unique expressions of the Hebrew language that you only find in this guy's work right here. We already said that Isaiah is the most messianic book in the Old Testament. More than any other book, Isaiah focuses on the salvation that will come through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Let's just put a quick slide up there, that first slide there, Rob. The Messiah will one day rule in justice and righteousness. You can see the references there. The Messiah will bring peace and safety to Israel. Through the Messiah, Israel will be a light to all the nations. The Messiah's kingdom on earth is the goal toward which all of the book of Isaiah points. You can see it, Isaiah 65 and 66. I told you there's 66 chapters. It wraps up. The whole point of it is Messiah's rule and reign, his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That is the goal. And he expresses that in 65 and 66. He says, hey, look, this is the goal of all of it, the goal of all creation, the goal of God having a people in the first place, the goal of God sending God's, his people into exile exile and then rescuing them out of it, all of it, the goal of it is to have the kingdom of God established here on earth through his Messiah, his Christ, Jesus. So it's a fascinating book. It's a huge book. It's during the reign of the Messiah that God's righteousness will be fully revealed to the world. Isaiah is God's messenger to a nation in decline at the time. The nation of Israel is on a rapid spiral downward with wicked kings, weak leadership, idol worship, immorality, treaties with nations they shouldn't even be talking to. Sound familiar? Through Isaiah, God pronounces his judgment. The destruction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, he says, will be destroyed brick by brick brick. This is shocking. This is a shocking prophecy. He said, Jerusalem will be destroyed. It'll be taken down like a tree to its stump. But something will grow out of the stump. It's a branch. It's a shoot. It's the shoot of Jesse. And out of that, I'm going to save my people. Do you see? He doesn't just say, you guys all suck. You're done. I'm sorry, am I supposed to say that? I can't say that? I'm seeing a note. You're not allowed to say that. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't just come and say like, no, you guys are the worst. You're done. He says, you're going to be taken out. Actually, you're going to be hauled off into captivity. The people you just signed that treaty with, they're actually going to come back for all your stuff. And you, and your wives, and your children. And you're going to be in captivity, and you're going to be in captivity this amount of time. He says times. You're going to be in captivity this amount of years. At the end of that, your captivity will be over, and I'm going to rescue you. He pronounces God's judgment on Jerusalem and the captivity of God's people to a foreign land. Much of the first half of the book happens in Isaiah's lifetime, and then most of the second half was written for the exiles of the 6th century that they would read, go back and read later. And actually, you know, theologians will tell you there was this whole group of people that devoted themselves to Isaiah's writings after he was gone. When they, when they came back and were, Jerusalem was restored, they were like, they were 
when they, when they read the, the book of the law, they also were reading Isaiah's writings. What did they read in there? He tells them of a great hope that they can have in God their Savior. He says, he will send them a sign. He will not leave them alone, even in the darkness of their exile, even in the return and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, even in the scattering throughout the nations. He will not leave them alone. He will come to them. It doesn't even say he'll rescue them. It says he will come to them. He will dwell with them. Isaiah is actually where we get this term, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. I love that word. Emmanuel, God with us. He doesn't just say, oh, yeah, I'll send somebody to come get you. You see, he's not sending Moses this time. Do you understand? Before, he met with Moses at the burning bush, and he said, I want you to go, and I want you to tell my people. I want you to tell Pharaoh my people have to go, and I want you to get my people out. This time, he's coming to get his people out. This time, he's going to save his people himself. Emmanuel, God with us. They didn't even understand what that stood, so they didn't even understand what that meant. What do you mean he's going to dwell with us? What do you mean? We get this hope that he will come and dwell and not abandon. You know, you and I are even in here. Did you know that? You and I are even in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 56. You can just put your finger in this to read later. Isaiah 56, 6. Actually, the chapter is, is called Salvation for Others. See, he's talking to his people chapter after chapter, 55 chapters of talking about judgment and rescuing his people. And then he said, oh, you know what? There's going to be others. You and I right here. Look at this. And foreigners, Gentiles, who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these, you and I, I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their offerings will be accepted on my altar, for my house, get this, will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You're in here. I'm in here. And my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, not just my people, not just my children. Because you see, in chapter 56, the tune starts to change, and he says, look, you're my children, you're my people, and do you know what else? There are others. There are others. This is the hope that you and I have here in the book of Isaiah. A prophecy from thousands of years ago where Almighty God, the Lord of heaven and earth, declared that not only will he make a way for his covenant people, he'll make a way for the Gentiles. So this is Isaiah. This is Isaiah. So let's get into our text this morning. Even though this chapter is... So we're going to start in chapter 6. Even though we're in chapter 6... Most agree that this would have actually happened at the beginning of Isaiah's preaching ministry. So even though it happens in chapter 6, and there's been five chapters before this, 
Most people agree that his, this was at the beginning of his actual ministry, but is placed here on purpose to punctuate the oracles that have led up to the, in the first five chapters of this commissioning and serves as this kind of warrant, this deputizing of Isaiah to deliver God's voice to his people. It's like, you know, it's like he, he delivers the first five chapters, all, all of these writings, all of these things that he says, and then you see his calling. Then you see the moment where he's called. Actually, most theologians believe that happened at the beginning, but God put it here because in the middle of the message, God wanted to say, hey, remember, I called this guy to say these things to you. So here he is. And most people believe that this chapter happens actually in the temple, it's a vision that he has of the throne room of God. And in my Bible, it's called Isaiah's commissioning. I don't know what it says in your Bible, Isaiah chapter 6. But let's turn to that. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Let's read. In the year that King Uzziah died. Also, you should understand, Isaiah's life spanned five kings. Five kings. In the, king that, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Let's read that again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What he was wearing, his robe, it filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying around. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, verse 4, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Look at that. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. When they said, holy, 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 physical things happened in the room. Physical stuff happened. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the place was filled with smoke, and the door jams and the thresholds were shaken. Isaiah has an encounter with the living God, the throne of God, and the living creatures that surround him. And when they declare the holiness of God, the temple begins to shake and is filled with smoke. And Isaiah is terrified. Wouldn't you be terrified? I, I get a little scared when my kitchen gets filled with smoke. <laughs> that only happens when I'm cooking. It means that something else is going on. When something is filled with smoke, human beings, we don't have any control over that. It's terrifying. A room gets filled with smoke. He's there and he is shaken to his core. Let's read on. He cries out, verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. Ruined. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Whoa. Hmm. 
So when he sees the king, the Lord Almighty, he's completely shaken. And what does he immediately recognize in his shaking? His own sin. See, God shows up and immediately he recognizes there's something wrong with me. My lips aren't clean. This is not only the moment of Isaiah's commissioning. Listen, this is the moment of Isaiah's repentance. He sees God and is suddenly aware of his own unrighteousness and need to be clean, need for cleansing. He says, woe to me, I am ruined. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. Why is this significant? Why does this matter? Because like I said, this vision likely happened in the temple. That means... To go in, Isaiah would have had to be ceremonially clean. He would have had to take all of the steps necessary to go in. He would have had to wash his body, change his clothes into clean clothes of a certain style. Washing, cleansing, bathing, being baptized, all to be able to go in to get access to the temple. But even after all of the ceremonial cleansing had taken place, one glimpse of the God of heaven was, was, it exposed him and he is undone with terror and states that ceremonial cleansing was not enough. Amen. Ceremonial cleansing was not enough. Because he has sin even on his lips. When the Almighty shows up on the scene, he's suddenly aware of the deep chasm between his own humanity and God's holiness. We ask a lot in this generation, we've been asking God to show up. You're like, God's everywhere. Yeah, no, no, I know that. I'm asking God for a renewal. I don't know about you, but I'm asking God for a revival. I'm asking God to come and visit his people again. I'm asking God for, uh, I'm asking God for um, things that have happened in the past. I'm saying, God, do it again. I don't know about you. Let's go on and read. Then one of the seraphim, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, when he touched it to my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Whoa. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, go and tell this people. And he, he gives him the words to tell the people. Before God could say, go tell the people, he had to cleanse Isaiah's lips. Isaiah recognized his own sin was a sin on his lips. And so God, the seraphim flies over, takes a coal, a fire from the altar, touches his lips with the fire, and says, okay, now you're clean. And then God says, who will go? The Hebrew definition of the name of these living creatures, seraph or seraphim, in Hebrew, it actually just means to burn. That's the name of the creature. They're not angels. 
They're not angelic. They're not, you know, it seems like this beautiful thing. It actually, their name is to burn. So there are these things all around God, and their name is to burn. They surround the throne. They're always before him, night and day, day and night, and they burn. Before we can actually be used by God as the voice to our generation, we must encounter the seraphs that surround his throne, and they burn. They burn. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says this, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. This comes from the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 4 where God instructs them to obey him. He's speaking to his people and he says, obey me because you're my people. And look at this, Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 23. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. A consuming fire. You see, God is a consuming fire, and the ones that surround him right next to him are on fire. They burn. And he speaks in Deuteronomy, and he says, don't make yourselves a bunch of idols and start worshiping things, because look, I'm a fire. And if you want to get back to me, if you want to come close to me, if you want to approach me, I'm going to burn all of that out of you. It will all be consumed. Obedience is required by God. No other gods, no idols. And if you do disobey and chase after those idols or those people, you better know that your God is a jealous God, he says. He's a consuming fire. Any area that we are in disobedience to him must be submitted to the cleansing fire of his altar. This isn't a popular thought. This isn't a popular message, submitting our lives to the fire of God. We must encounter God's burning. It wasn't, it's not a popular message today, and I'll tell you, it wasn't a popular message in Isaiah's day. The Bible doesn't talk about the death of Isaiah, but all of the historians say he was killed by the last king that he served under, which is actually his relative. He didn't like what he said, and he, it says that he just, he killed him. Some, I won't even tell you they say how he killed him. It's less poetic. Before Isaiah could be the messianic forerunner that he became, he had to first be touched by the burning of God. And I want to tell you, before we can actually become the messianic forerunners saying, hey, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is coming. Before we can actually be the introducers of Advent to the world, we have to be touched by the fire as well. We can't do that and keep everything that's on our lips as is. Sometimes we seem to approach God. I do it too. Listen, and our approach to God is like, and God's calling is like, you know, he should just be grateful when we said yes. <laughs> I'm just telling you how sometimes we behave. 
You know, Jesus said, pray to the Lord to send workers into the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers in the harvest. We're like, okay, Lord, send workers in the harvest. I guess you can send me. Send me at work, Lord. I'll be your guy at my job. He's like, really? Can I touch your lips? No? Okay. You see, the call of God also comes with the consuming fire of God that burns away everything in us that doesn't belong. Because he doesn't want, listen, this guy goes on for 60 more chapters. He couldn't have 60 more chapters of prophecy that had been tainted by his own vision and his own goals and his own purpose and his own sin from his own lips. He had to say, no, no, no. We're just going to clean this up a little bit because I want you to be my messenger and I, I need you to say exactly what I'm saying and I need you to say it exactly like I'm saying it because it's really important. And the result, the greatest Old Testament book of poetry and prophecy that exists. His lips were clean. God is a consuming fire and we forget that. When Moses approached the burning bush from our story a few weeks ago, God said what? Take off your shoes, because the place where you're standing is holy ground. God is so holy that when even his angel visits earth for this one conversation with a shepherd, the dirt where he's at is holy. That's how holy God is. I was struck last week when Pastor Trevor shared that the boy Samuel was actually sleeping in the tent where the Ark of the Covenant was. Think about that for a second. He was sleeping in the tent with the ark. What? Why was he able to do that? He was a kid. He was a kid. God didn't have to go all Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom on him. <laughs> Sorry, that was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. God didn't have to do that. Don't watch Temple of Doom. It's gross and weird. <laughs> but you notice, Eli didn't sleep in the tent with the ark. Hmm. God's looking God's looking for a generation of Isaiah's again, I think. Who will boldly stand and declare God's warning and call for repentance and turning from sin, but before any of us can speak for God, we need to repent and be made clean by God. Should God's people be speaking up for righteousness and truth? Yes, but not before we've been met by the fire of God. See, too many of us are calling out every, all the sin all around us. Oh, and their agenda and that thing and this. And you haven't been touched by the fire of God yet. That's a dangerous place to be, my friends. We want to point out all the stuff do you know who's, do you, do you notice what Isaiah said? First, when he's at the throne of God, he says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips who lives in a people of unclean lips. Whose sin was first? His sin was first. I think maybe we should get less excited about the sin of the people and the nation we're in and maybe get more on board with God's repentance process for ourselves and then see maybe what he wants to speak and do in us. Maybe God wants to encounter us with the power of his Holy Spirit in such a way that it burns us a little bit and we're marked by him. So that way when we leave him, we leave here, we show him. 
When we leave here, we show him. We go make the invisible God visible because they see we've been burned. They see we've been touched. They see we're forgiven and set free. We're cleansed by the fire of God. Not just mouthy. I'm mouthy, so I get to say that. I'll never forget when I was a kid, my, I, my, my parents were elders in the church, so I grew up in church. And I will never forget the Bible study my dad took me through on the book of James and the fire of the tongue. <laughs> don't do that to your kids. Just hand them the Bible and say, go to James, son, and then walk out. You don't have to drive it home. It, James drives it home. Message received, dad. <laughs> I was four. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. My dad's just joking. Sorry, Dad, if you're watching. <laughs> just. Yeah. We have a phrase we use as Christians that says, our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God, right? You know that Isaiah actually wrote that? That's, it comes from this guy. Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean clean. He says, all of us. Do you see this? All of us who have become like someone who is unclean and all our righteous acts, say all, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. You know, Isaiah writes this and he says, you know, we're like, we shrivel up like a leaf, like the, like the wind, our sins sweep us away. So why the lips? Well, I can go, we're going to just kind of touch on this part really quick, but Isaiah, he's, the sin, he says, I have sin on my lips. My lips are what is unclean. So, uh, you know what, Isaiah chapter 14 is this prophecy about the morning star. It's actually the king of Babylon, and lots of people apply it to lots of different things. But what the morning star, it says about the morning star in, in chapter 14 of Isaiah, just write it down and look at it later. It says, he said in his heart, I will go and do thus and so. That's where he sinned. He sinned in his heart. But what does the Bible say about the heart? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You spend any time with somebody and you'll find out what they believe through the words that they speak. Through the words they speak, you'll find out. Or do they have faith? Do they have, you know, are they believing God for something? Are they, you know, you can find out a lot about somebody just by listening to the words that they speak. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The words that come out of your mouth are a reflection of the beliefs that you have in your heart. So when he's saying, Lord, cleanse my lips, what he's saying is, I've got a heart problem. I've got a heart problem. You're like, did he have food on his face? No. This wasn't like a face cleaning. He didn't need a baby wipe. He needed a heart fix. He had a problem with, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I sense the prophetic unction in this generation to speak the word of the Lord in our time, but first our lips have to be touched with the coal of holiness. We can go to church and do all the churchy things. We witness, we evangelize, we prophesy, we speak in tongues. Well, I'm sorry, but what good does it do to speak in tongues at church and then go gossip in English? You're like, well, I'm filled with, I got, I got the gift of tongues. Congratulations, why don't you bite it? 
Listen, church, we look a lot of places for a lot of sin and a lot of things that are going on and this thing and that thing and this agenda, that agenda, that person, that leader, this party, that party, that this, that, that church, this. Listen, God just wants to touch your heart with his fire and fix the problem in you. God just wants to touch my lips with his fire and fix the problem in me. That's where it starts. Words are powerful. We have no problem pointing out the sins of the body like sexual sin and immorality. And yeah, that's sin. That was prevalent in Isaiah's day as well. But what he stood in repentance for and called out the sin of his people for was the sin of unclean lips. Things we've said. Things we've confessed. Proverbs 18, 21. The power of life and death are in the tongue. Death and life are in the tongue. God wants to speak to his people. God's looking for messengers. When God is looking to speak hard words, he starts with us. You know Isaiah? In Isaiah, fire is mentioned 34 times. Fire. 34 times. This here I am today is a submission, both to the call and cleansing of God for our generation. To say here I am and be made clean. God has a plan and purpose for this generation and a message for us to deliver to our world. He wants us to go make him visible to our world. But he has a call and a repentance and a return to the Lord. But we will not walk in it without a touch from the fire of his altar on ourselves first. That burns away our sin and cleanses us. Let's stand together this morning. Like I said earlier, there's a lot of call right now, like, come Holy Spirit. We pray this prayer in the vineyard, come Holy Spirit. We believe the fire of God can come and visit a room and, and, and be present in a room and, and meet with us in a room and light us, uh, just, just light us up in a room. The power of the Holy Spirit, when the power of the Holy Spirit actually came on the church in Acts, uh, how did it come? It came in the form of, t- of tongues of fire burning over each person. See, when the Holy Spirit comes, what he wants to do is meet us with fire, Fire. When, the, when we say, come Holy Spirit, we're really just saying, burn over me, God. Touch me with your fire. I, maybe words that we've confessed, maybe just even in our heart, words that we've spoken over people or about people, or gossip. Gossip is so divisive. Slander. Words that we've spoken over our spouse, uh, about our marriage. Just all over this room, we're just going to say, come Holy Spirit. When we do, what we're asking is that he would just come and he would touch us. And he would cleanse us. Because sometimes... The ceremonial cleansing of just being in the house of God and the worship and all of it, it's just not quite enough. Why? Because there's something about meeting with the living God when he burns over us. Burn over us now, God.
burn over us, God. Woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I've said things, I've confessed things. Pride is even confessed through the, through the lips. Pride is felt in the heart and confessed through the lips. Untruthfulness and lying that comes through the lips. There are words that we speak, things we believe, things we say. Let's just let the Holy Spirit just burn over us. He's cleansing us today of things sins of our lips, things we've said and felt in our hearts. What I love about Isaiah's confession here is that it's him and it's everyone. He says, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm in a people of unclean lips. It's him and it's everyone. Today, what we can recognize as the children of God is that it's me and it's everyone. I need cleansing. I need the fire of God, the coal from his altar, just to come and touch my life again. <sighs> Burn over us, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Burn in us again. He's drawing us closer even right now. As he draws us closer into his presence, just say yes. Just say, here am I. And just let him draw you in and just touch you. Touch your lips. Touch your heart with his cleansing today. Today, I believe Right now, he's marking some of us today. He's just marking us with his fire. He's marking us with his presence. We're going to be carriers of his presence. Messengers of God. Making the invisible God visible in our city, in our world, with clean lips. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. There was something that God recognized in the heart of Isaiah that he knew this guy will say, here I am.
There's somebody else in the room this morning. There's a few of you that you're actually going through the fire right now. You feel like you are actually in the fire. You're going through it. You're going through it. And I want you to know that when you're in the fire of God's trial, when you're in the fire of that moment, you have a choice of what to say and what to do coming through it. You can respond to the pain of the fire and walk away. Or you can lean into the fire and say, like Isaiah, here am I. Here am I. If you're going through it today, I have this encouragement for you. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. I will be with you, says the Lord. If you're in it today, he's with you in it. If you're in the fire, if you're in the waves, if you're in the storm, know this morning, it's not going to overflow you. It's not going, you're not going to be consumed. He's with you. In your season of mourning, in your season of doubt, in your season of difficulty and trial, he's with you. And just like he spoke to Israel in Isaiah, he will not abandon you. He has not abandoned you where you are. It might feel like it's about to overflow you. It won't. So we have a choice in the fire. We can say, I don't want to be burned. Or we can say, here am I. Let's just take another moment right where you stand. And just say, here am I. Here am I, Lord. Cleanse me and send me. Send me to a city that's hurting. Send me to a city that's broken. Send me to a generation that can't remember you. Send me to a generation that set up idols that are nothing like you. Send me to a generation that's so fixated on themselves they can't see you desperately, desperately reaching out. Emmanuel, send us. Here am I. Here we are. I believe some of us today are settling in our heart what we're going to do with this next season. Settle into your heart right now what you're going to do with this next season. You've been cleansed. He's touched us with his fire. 
Now what? Settle into the call of God on your life, to the plan and purposes of God for your life. It might not look anything like what you've been doing or where you're from. It might be a big shift. That's okay. Settle into what God's doing because you're set apart for a purpose. The fire of God is ignited in your heart for a reason, and the fires of revival are kindled in moments of repentance. What could God do with a church in a city whose heart is positioned under the fire as here am I? What could God do? Scripture asks the question, can a city be changed in a day? And the answer is rhetorical, yes. By hearts that are submitted with a yes, with a here am I, with a submission to the fire of God to burn, kindled fresh in us once again. We're just, we're not in a rush. So this isn't how I was planning to end. But if you, hmm, don't rush out of this moment with God. morning, I want to encourage you just to stay in this moment. We're going to just stay here. I, I know you might have places to go or pick up your kids. That's totally fine. Don't, but don't rush. The, I want to encourage you, if you need prayer for any reason, we have some people that are, that are, have been in prayer this week that they want to pray over you. So if you need prayer for any reason, you need healing, you want to respond to the message, I don't know, but if you need prayer for any reason, I want you just to come to the front this morning. Don't be shy. Just come on down to the front. And someone will meet you here, put a hand on your shoulder and pray with you and agree with God over your life. Also, if you just want to sit in the presence of God and let the fire of God just burn over your heart, just stay here. Just stay right here. God's not finished yet this morning. So let's just stay in his presence. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you're doing. And Father, I just say yes and amen. I say more, God. We, Lord, we ask for more. More of what you're doing, God. Do it again, God. We say yes to your, your plan and your purpose in this place. Would you burn over us with the fire of your Holy Spirit? Come and burn in us today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are leaving this morning, just, just leave quietly and maybe take your conversation to Heritage Hall or out to the lobby or anywhere. If you just want to stay, I want to encourage you just to stay and meet with God. God's here burning in this place. If you need prayer for any reason, come on up to the front. We want to pray with you and believe God with you for miracles, signs, wonders, words from him, whatever you need, healing, whatever you need, we're here to pray with you. 
Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.